Welcome to the Trust Your Gut Podcast. I'm your host, Demi Fair. Here we dive into the world of the mind-body connection, exploring the gut-brain axis, microbiome, and nervous system while harnessing the power of intuition and connection to spirit. If you struggle with chronic digestive and mental stress and are tired of trying just one more diet or supplement to address your symptoms, then this is the place for you. Join me as we learn from the world of science and medicine, but also from nature, our own inner knowing, and personal stories. Thank you for tuning in, and now it's time to trust your gut. Hello and welcome back to the Trust Your Gut podcast. It's been a little moment since I've posted a new episode, mostly because I am in Mexico and have been here a week. And in the time leading up to taking this trip, I was skiing a lot as we got a really late season dump of new fresh snow and I wanted to really take advantage of that and enjoy the end of my winter season and set off to Mexico. So now that I'm more settled here, I'm excited to get some podcast episodes recorded. That all being said, I am in Mexico. There's three dogs here. They might make noise in the background. I can hear the ice cream truck on the beach playing its song all day long. And there's just a lot of other noises and interruptions and things that happen. And I just want to embrace that in this podcast and let it be here. So if you hear any unique sounds in the background, that's what's going on. So today's episode is all about trauma. Uh, I talk about trauma pretty often in regards to nervous system dysregulation and trauma being one of the main reasons that the nervous system becomes dysregulated or overactivated in its certain states. So this is a really good episode to listen to after you've listened to the episode Nervous System 101. Doesn't matter if you don't listen to it in order, but they go really well together for just understanding the overall picture of the stress and threat response in our nervous system and how it is tied into trauma. But I wanted to make this episode to really make it clear what trauma is because we all have heard of trauma and we probably have some ideas of what traumatic experiences are, but we may not fully understand what trauma really is and what happens in the body and how to know if we have had trauma and then what to do about it. So that's what this episode is going to cover today. So first I want to point out that trauma is not about the event that happened or what specifically happened in the event. Trauma is about how our body responds, how our nervous system responded to the event, to the threat, to the stressor. So trauma is really in our nervous system. It's not so much about what happened, but how our body did or did not get to respond. Often trauma is the result of something that happened too fast, too soon or was too much for our nervous system to respond to with normal resiliency. Dr. Peter Levine has a quote where he writes, traumatic symptoms are not caused by the event itself. They arise when residual energy from the experience is not discharged from the body. This energy remains trapped in the nervous system where it can wreak havoc on our bodies and minds. So this is something that we can see pointed out in other mammals in a really easy example when a mammal is being chased by a predator and it ends up fleeing and getting away or it goes into a freeze response and ends up getting away when it comes out of that freeze response or when it knows that the threat has passed, it shakes. 
it shakes that energy and that activation out of its system to come back into that baseline ventral vagal response. It is a similar thing if you've ever witnessed someone in surgery or had surgery yourself, you might notice when you come out of the anesthesia, you might be shaking and that's the same kind of response of the body releasing that stress. It's discharging that stress from the body. So we will often see symptoms of traumatic stress as a way the body is trying to bind the high levels of activation or arousal in an overactivated nervous system. So this is where we're going to see symptoms like anxiety, panic attacks, racing thoughts, hypervigilance, as well as the other side, which is depression, hopelessness, apathy, disassociation, disconnection. All of these symptoms are linked to an overactivation of different nervous system states primarily a fight or flight response or a freeze immobility response. And of course, these can manifest as physical symptoms like irritable bowel syndrome, poor digestion, stomach aches, microbiome imbalances, chronic pain, exhaustion, muscular tension, and insomnia. So these symptoms are from that traumatic stress that didn't get to be released or completed. What is traumatic for one person may not be traumatic for the other, right? Because every body is different. And just like not one diet fits all, it's kind of the same. Trauma responses don't necessarily fit all. So an example is, Someone could have had an encounter with a bear and somebody else had an encounter with a bear. And maybe one of the people actually got their arm chomped off by a bear. And they had a hard time with that, of course, but they came out okay. They didn't develop any sort of PTSD or really serious traumatic symptoms from that event. And this other person who had an interaction with a bear did, but they didn't get their arm chomped off. What did happen for them, however, is they encountered a bear. The bear showed a little aggression towards them. They got into a freeze response. They didn't get to fight or run away. And then after the bear left them alone, they didn't really leave the freeze response. They never really felt okay afterwards. They didn't know how to discharge that. Now, the person who got their arm chomped off by the bear actually got to fight the bear. They were punching the bear, and they actually got the bear to like not kill them and get away. And they were able to complete that threat response. So it's kind of maybe a hard example to wrap your head around, but when we look at that situation, we'd see, well that person's arm got chomped up by the bear. That doesn't seem very good. But they got to complete the threat response. They got to complete the fight response, whereas the other person didn't get to complete any response. They didn't have the support they needed after. Maybe they were all alone in the wilderness. They didn't have that um, empathetic human to come and co-regulate with after. And they ended up holding it inside and holding on to that freeze state. So... That is how our bodies will respond differently. So trauma is really anything perceived as life-threatening. Whether it's life-threatening truly in that moment or not, if your system perceives it as life-threatening, it will be a traumatic event. So that could be a bear attack, but that can also be emotional neglect from your caregiver or being ostracized from the community for the color of your skin, your sexual orientation, or being bullied in school. So when we are looking at a traumatic experience, when we are looking at someone who is holding on to trauma, we always ask the question, what didn't get to happen? What did the body want to do, but didn't get to do? Did the body want to run or fight back or call out for help? or set a boundary. 
those are just some examples of things that the body maybe wanted to do. Maybe it wanted to flinch, duck, hide. So what didn't the body get to do in that experience? Did it not get to express anger? Did it not get to say something that it needed to say? Was someone not there? Another component of what makes something traumatic is that a resource was missing in that experience. So often there are two huge missing resources. The first is time. So that's where it's like things just happen too fast. I didn't see it coming. I couldn't prepare. If I had time to prepare, things would have been differently. The second one is human kindness. That might have been not having an attentive parent, not having anyone there to support you, to call on, to lean on, not having anyone to co-regulate with, whether that was when you were a child and you were learning how to co-regulate or whether that was with somebody in that moment of trauma or after the experience of trauma. So when we're looking at these traumatic events, experiences as having a missing resource, we're asking what should have happened? Who should have been there? Or what would it be if the threat response could have been completed? And those three things, those missing pieces can lead us to how the trauma might be resolved. So that is something really important to keep in mind that we will circle back to. First, I want to take a moment to just talk about examples of trauma. So we have our large T traumas. This is what most people think about when they think about trauma. Things like war, accidents, natural disasters, witnessing a death, an invasive surgery, abuse of any kind, rape, neglect, racism, oppression, gender and sexual orientation trauma, being harassed or bullied, being robbed, being held at gunpoint, being separated at birth or shortly after, and traumatic births. Then we have what's known as small T traumas. So they're not these necessarily big events that everyone would agree on being traumatic. These are things that are a little bit smaller in scale and may not be traumatic for everybody, but can really, really impact others. So these are things like being left out, moving, divorce, financial hardship, chronic illness of self or family members, work or school stress, relational issues or a heartbreak, grief, loss, losing a job, leaving a community. And a lot of the traumas that people experience can be harder to identify, or we may not think of them as being a traumatic thing. And these are the ones that are often tied up in attachment wounding that were formulated with our caregivers. These are often those adverse early life experiences, childhood traumas that we don't really think of as childhood traumas. When we look back, we go, oh, I, had a, I had a really happy childhood. Sometimes it's really obvious when someone's been through a really hard childhood, but sometimes it's not as obvious. And Pretty much we all come out of childhood with some level of adversity, with some level of a traumatic, stressful experience. And so a lot of this will be in how we related to our caregivers and what they modeled to us. Children need the interaction with their parents to develop everything from their eyesight to read faces, that's everything connected to our vagus nerve and, of course, to regulate us. We need to be able to interact with and connect with our parents to learn how to regulate ourselves. 
We're dependent on their nervous systems to regulate our nervous systems for the whole early part of our life. So if we had parents who couldn't regulate their own nervous system or emotions, we will co-regulate with them and therefore our bodies may learn this dysregulated state. Or we might not get our emotional or physical needs met. We might just feel like something's wrong. And remember, as a child, you don't have the cognitive ability that you have as an adult to look at something and go, oh, well, this wasn't about me. My mom was just depressed or she was going through a hard time or my parent had this addiction or there was a financial hardship or whatever. We don't understand that as kids. We just go, oh, I can't connect to mom. Mom is sad. Mom doesn't feel present. Like we don't think these things. We just feel these things. And then we think this is because of me. Something must be wrong with me. Or it makes our environment feel unsafe. You know, these are our safety figures, our caregivers. And if anything in that connection or that environment doesn't feel safe, we're going to have a sense of feeling unsafe. And therefore, our nervous system is going to be dysregulated because it's going to be trying to achieve safety. This is a threat. If we cannot co-regulate with or attune to our caregivers, that is a major, major threat to our system. And it's going to do what it can to protect us. So that might be in a fight or flight response. Often that's like going up into the mind or that might be people pleasing, merging with a parent, trying to save a parent. That could be going into a free state and dissociating. There's a lot of different things that could happen. If you had a parent with an addiction, whether or not they were a loving parent, there's going to be some sort of disconnect there. And there's a pain there. There's a deep trauma and pain under an addiction. And as a child, we're all so like tuned in and empathetic and sensitive. We're going to sense that and feel that. And we're going to feel like something's wrong. I know that was my experience. Like I could feel a disconnect from my dad, I could feel that something was wrong. And this is not something I understood then, but in hindsight, I can look back at that now. So addiction is a huge one. It's a huge one. And it doesn't have to be a parent who's in rehab or jail or struggling with really hard drugs, right? Um, But it could be a really loving parent who also struggles with alcohol. Uh, It can be a parent who struggles with depression um, and anxiety and their own trauma and feeling their own emotions. It can also be like being denied your reality, like a parent who says, you're fine, you know, or stop crying, you know, toughen up. Little boys don't cry. That's not what happened. Did a parent yell? Did a parent get mad a lot? Anything that didn't feel safe that didn't feel connected, that didn't feel attuned. And when these things happen, our system is not being able to move towards our parents, our caregivers, and it has to shut down. And it has to go into that parasympathetic state, that deep dorsal vagal complex, that free state. Or, on the other hand, if a child is overstimulated in the case of like helicopter parenting where boundaries are being breached and maybe certain ideas of what the child should be are being applied to the child, then that system will also shut down. So when we experience a series of disappointing experiences as a child trying to relate to our caregivers, our nervous system can get stuck in one of these patterns. This is such an important time of attuning to our caregivers, to others, to the world around us. And this is when our nervous system is learning what is safe, what is not safe, what is stressful, what is not stressful, what is a threat, what is not a threat. We are learning through co-regulation, through what is modeled to us, what our home environment feels like, what our outside environment feels like, how we connect to our caregivers. And this is often where our nervous system can get into patterns of dysregulation. 
And that is what becomes the root cause of chronic symptoms that we develop later in life. Specifically in the gut brain, this is when our microbiome and gut brain axis is being programmed in those first three years of our life for our microbiome and a little bit longer for our gut brain. So there is often some kind of relational piece that can be in a traumatic experience. The feeling that somebody let me down, they could have supported me but didn't, I could have supported them better, somebody left. For example, there was a video shown in one of my somatic experiencing trainings about a boy who was in a snowboarding accident. And he was having different pains and things and fatigue and symptoms coming up after his accident. And as they were reworking this experience, it became clear that the first thing he remembers upon landing in his accident was looking up and seeing his friend leaving. His friend didn't stay to help him. Whether or not his friend knew he crashed or whatever, he looked up and saw his friend leaving. And that ended up being what caused the trauma to be held the way that it was in his body. So trauma happens for some and not for others because they're dealing with not just the event, but also the added layer of some kind of betrayal. And there's often a need to rework these relational pieces as well when we are processing trauma. Now, there is also intergenerational trauma. And this is a huge topic that I'm really fascinated in and do work with this with my clients. So I'm going to speak to it briefly now because I do want to make a longer episode specifically on generational trauma. But essentially, trauma can pass from one generation to the next. This is known as inherited family trauma. And emerging evidence shows that this is a very real occurrence. So we can carry inherited family patterns. These are things such as feelings, fears, behaviors that we adopted unknowingly to keep the cycle of suffering alive among generations. So if something wasn't processed in the past by somebody who went through a trauma, it can be stored in their unconscious and passed down through generations. And we can gain clues to these patterns through gestures, behaviors, and words that are spoken by people. And this is something I'm looking for when I have my initial consult with clients. We're looking for these patterns that are emerging that were likely passed down from their parents and their grandparents and beyond. In general, we carry three generations of family history within our body. This is because when you were an unfertilized egg, you already shared a cellular environment with your mother and your grandmother. So when your grandmother was five months pregnant with your mother, the precursor cell of the egg that you developed from was already present in your mother's ovaries. So there was this time when you, your mother and your grandmother we're all sharing the same biological environment. And this is not just going to be what happened in your mother and your grandmother that would have been imprinted on you, but also in the father. So Mark Wollen in his book, It Didn't Start With You, writes about how both the precursor egg and sperm cells can be imprinted by events with the potential to affect subsequent generations. However, because the father's sperm continues to develop through adolescence and adulthood, whereas the mother's egg cells are formed in the grandmother's womb and they stop dividing then, the father's sperm can continue to be susceptible to traumatic imprints almost up until the point when the child is conceived. That traumatic imprint is being shown to also be passed through sperm through the egg and this can also happen when you are in the womb um, as a growing 
fetus and child when the mother is pregnant with the child whatever sort of stress um, or environment that the mother is in if the mother is under stress feeling anxious um, has anxiety has a overactive nervous system those things can impact the child in the womb and once that child is born so again there's a lot here in this realm and i'm going to make a separate episode all about generational trauma because it's huge so now i want to talk about what happens in the brain during trauma so to understand this we want to understand three parts of the brain there is the reptilian brain which is our oldest most primitive brain it governs our instincts and reflexes and it helps control digestion breathing circulation reproduction sexuality sleep and our heartbeat it also is what controls our basic physical response to threat so engaging us in the fight flight or freeze response The second part is the limbic brain. This is known as the emotional brain. So it's governing emotions linked to attachment to others. So think about early attachment figures like our caregivers. The expression of emotions and assessment of emotional experiences, our instincts and our motivational drives. And there are two parts of the brain here that are particularly important. Uh, That is the amygdala, which is kind of our fear control center, and the hippocampus, which controls memory. And these two parts of the brain are tremendously affected and impacted by trauma. Then we have our neocortex, which is our thinking brain. This is where language, communication skills, higher cognition like reasoning, planning, flexibility comes into play. This is also where we can control voluntary movements. And this is where we remember events and time in a chronological order. It's like where we tell a story, how we remember a story. So trauma impairs the thinking process and rational problem-solving abilities. It causes the neocortex to go offline to lose its capacity to discriminate or inhibit activity from other parts of the brain. So when we have experienced trauma or we're dealing with unprocessed trauma, that can begin to negatively impact our ability to manage our emotions well, solve problems, or learn new information. And instead what happens is that trauma, it can overactivate the limbic brain, especially in the amygdala. It will reduce the hippocampus, so memory can become fuzzy. And it puts the primitive, the reptilian brain, into a state of constant activation. The primitive brain essentially takes over. And that constant activation results in impulsive, automatic reactions like withdrawal, being in a frenzy or panic, or going into immobility and freeze. So during this traumatic experience, the reptilian brain is taking control and it shifts the body into that reactive mode, into that fight or flight or freeze. So this is going to shut down all the non-essential mind processes like the neocortex, and it's going to shut down non-essential body processes like digestion and immune function. And the brain and body are going into survival mode. And so the stress hormones are being flooded through the body and the body is being prepared for that fight, flight, or freeze. And normally in a healthy nervous system response, when that immediate threat ceases, then the parasympathetic nervous system shifts the body into a restorative mode. And this reduces those stress hormones and allows the brain to shift back to the normal kind of top-down structure of control, right? The neocortex to the limbic to the reptilian. So for those who end up developing symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder or many other chronic traumatic stress symptoms, 
This is often because that shift didn't happen. So the energy didn't get to discharge, the threat response wasn't completed, and there is this unhealed, unresolved trauma that's continuing to trigger the defense response of fight, flight, or freeze, even though it's no longer necessary. So the person is staying in this reactive state defensive state and that shift isn't happening and therefore the reptilian brain is activated it's primed for threat and the nervous system is activated it's primed for threat and it is these responses these defense responses that are continuing to be triggered that are the exact thing that are going to help heal and renegotiate the trauma. Trauma can also set up in the brain what is called a negativity bias. And that's where we become fixated on negative information. That's essentially because the brain, the nervous system are scanning for threats. And we're constantly doing this anyways, but if our brain, our nervous system has gone through trauma, and it is not resolved, it's not processed, it's still in that reactive defensive state, we're going to be a little more hyper aware of negative things, of what can go wrong, of what is safe or isn't, of what is a threat. And in this place, we can get very good at attending to our painful emotions, uncomfortable sensations, and distressing thoughts. It almost feels like you can't get out of those things like almost like it's an addicting thing and in this place someone feels like they're just really unable to be in the flow of things there's just this constant pull into this trauma vortex and that person might feel like they get yanked over and over again compulsively drawn to this trauma vortex and a trauma vortex is going to include things like your triggers, intrusive memories, flashbacks, tendencies towards reenactment where you might unwittingly recreate the scenario. That might be really common in um, a relationship setting, in an attachment trauma where we fall in love, uh, are interested in those who might be reenacting something uh, about our parents. So that is a really important thing to keep in mind, especially as we navigate a world that's all about mindset work and you know, affirmations and just being in the flow, being present, change your mindset, change your life, because that doesn't really work for the traumatized brain and the dysregulated nervous system. Because if the, the nervous system and the traumatized brain still thinks it's unsafe, that there's a threat, it's programmed towards that negativity bias. And so if this resonates with you and you feel like you've struggled with negative thinking or worst case scenario thinking or you can't really seem to get out of some of your distressing thoughts or painful emotions and you think, well, I just need to try better. I just need to do mindset work better and do more affirmations and manifest things. And that's a great concept, but it doesn't work if you don't address the nervous system first. You need to get the body to know that it's safe, that it's not under threat. And that's a bottom-up approach first from body to brain. And then you can start to bring in the top-down approaches with things like mindset work and limiting beliefs and reflection and verbal processing and integration. It's all good stuff, but we can't think our way out of trauma. That doesn't work. And even if our brains don't remember traumatic events, our bodies do. Our bodies keep the score. It is within our being, and that's where it shows up in these chronic symptoms. 
Part of that is because the hippocampus, which is responsible for memory, is greatly impacted and reduced during a traumatic experience. And also we tend to disassociate from those parts of our brain, like the neocortex and the limbic brain, during a traumatic experience to reduce the pain of it. And if we go into dissociation, it's really hard to have memories especially in a congruent chronological form. So that's why there might be no memories of these certain events or your childhood or whatever it may be, as that was a way that was protecting you. But this is where we come back to the body and we remember that even if we don't cognitively remember everything, our body does. So this leads me to how do we process trauma? And as I said, you cannot think your way out of trauma. This is not something that you can talk yourself through. We need to go into the body. We need to go into the nervous system to be able to truly process the trauma. And truly, this needs to be done with a practitioner. And ideally, this is a practitioner who works somatically, who works with the body. So in my training, I focus on the body and the modality of somatic experiencing. If you're not familiar with somatic experiencing, it is a body-oriented therapeutic model for healing trauma and other stress disorders. And it's based on a multidisciplinary intersection of physiology, psychology, biology, neuroscience, indigenous healing practices, and medical biophysics. And it's been clinically applied for more than four decades. It's the life work of Dr. Peter Levine, who is the leader at the forefront of trauma work over the past 50 years. So it's this amazing blend from all these different sciences, but also these indigenous healing practices, these traditional ways of healing. And if you're not familiar with Dr. Peter Levine, he is truly the leader in the field of trauma. So the somatic experiencing approach helps to release traumatic shock, which is key to transforming PTSD and the wounds of emotional and early developmental attachment trauma. So it offers this framework to assess where a person is stuck in the fight, flight, or freeze responses, and it provides clinical tools to resolve these fixated psychological states and physiological states. So the somatic experiencing approach facilitates the completion of the self-protective motor responses, right? So if you needed to fight, flight, or freeze, you would have some sort of motor response that is coming to protect you. And it helps to also release the survival energy that wasn't able to be released and got bound in the body. Therefore, it addresses the root cause of trauma symptoms. And this is approached by gently guiding clients to develop increasing tolerance for difficult bodily sensations and suppressed emotions, right? You don't just jump into a traumatic experience. We don't talk through the traumas necessarily. Really, we're looking at what's happening in the body. If we are talking through a trauma, I'm paying attention to what is happening in your body. What kind of clues is it giving me, right? Like what didn't get to happen and see if some sort of self-protective motor response is coming up that needs to be completed. See if there's any energy that is trying to come out in an emotion or a sensation or um, any kind of behavior. So we work with five different channels in somatic experiencing. So we'll work in the realm of sensation. What do you feel in your body? Images, oftentimes images will come up. What behaviors are coming up? So often we'll notice something that a client is doing that looks like it might be some sort of movement related to what they're speaking to or something that needs to be completed and we can actually bring that response to completion. 
We're also working with emotion that will often rise and then meaning will arise as well, which is important because that's what helps us kind of integrate and reflect and make meaning out of everything. So my job is just to support you in finding your own health in your system, in finding what your body already knows. And I guide clients to access their deeper knowing. Really, if we access the nervous system, it will tell us exactly what we need to do. And if I can help others get to that place, their body will tell me exactly where we need to go. And we don't go back in the past and relive traumatic experiences. We focus on what's happening right now in the present, not how it felt in the past. And the treatment is whatever didn't get to happen. So I'm supporting someone and having the experience of protecting and defending. And it doesn't need to be the exact way it would have happened, but it needs to be completed. It needs to feel like a completion. And this helps the past get worked out and it makes the possibility of future feel different. So when we talk about completing a response, we might see some sort of fight or flight response that didn't get to happen may emerge, like maybe someone needed to duck or run away. And we can help bring those to completion. And it's not that we have to go back and relive the trauma. We're just trying to get it into the context of the associated state. And we need to allow it to come up from the body. We can't think through it. It needs to happen at that involuntary level. The body needs to do it on its own. We can't say, okay, shoulder, duck down now. That will just naturally emerge as we are talking about the experience. And then we let the body do it. And I will acknowledge that for some, being in the body is extremely scary. It has been a place that isn't safe, and we might be really disconnected from the sensations in our body. That doesn't mean we can't do this work. We can also work with meaning, with that verbal processing, thinking, reflection, to begin to process around the trauma or any associated emotions, feelings, sensations but I'll continue to pay attention to the body and see what it's telling me. And we also slowly begin to support the client in coming into their body safely, learning how to build more capacity for being in the body. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, I don't have a big traumatic event to process, but I have all these symptoms. And this is where I encourage you to think about some of those smaller T traumas, some of those attachment traumas. And you might not have anything come up to you right away. And the beautiful thing about this type of work is that you don't have to come to it with a specific memory. You don't have to come to it with a specific event. Because again, the body will just tell you, the nervous system will tell you. Once you're guided into that, and space is held for you to truly be there in the nervous system and just follow the different things that comes up, it will tell you. And memories may come up, meaning may come up, maybe an image comes up, maybe an emotion comes up, but we again, we don't have to talk through. We don't have to talk about the trauma at all. We don't have to have any memories. We can still process these things through these different channels of the body, which is really incredible. And sometimes it really just is these chronic stress patterns from being in a stressful environment too much of your life or having something passed down to you generationally that caused you to be more in a stress response or having unprocessed emotions. Those things can also be worked through in a modality like this and really just any kind of nervous system regulation. And that can help you release these things. So you don't have to identify with the word trauma. You don't have to identify with a certain big T, little t trauma, or anything like that. This process is still so beneficial. And really, all of us have trauma. Whether we, we remember or know it or can identify it, we've all had adverse experiences that have imprinted us. We've likely all face some sort of threat to some extent, some sort of stressful situation, 
some level of an emotion that wasn't safe to feel or express. Those are all traumas. So how do you know if you've fully processed a trauma? This is a big golden ticket question. Really, anytime someone gets triggered, it means there's something unprocessed to some extent. There's something that needed to happen that didn't get to happen, and that's why it's still caught. So maybe some part of it hasn't been fully moved through. If there is an activation, like if the person gets activated around a conversation, around something that we're talking about, if you feel that yourself getting activated, that is something that is likely not processed, and that's what we're looking for. And we will get activated in our day-to-day life when we face stress, but there's like a a different activation, right? Where it maybe seems to be kind of like a trigger. It just kind of might be a lot bigger than than really makes sense or happen often or feel really intense in the body. I'm not talking about just reacting to a stressful day, right? This is like feeling triggered, feeling activated. Now, something is likely processed when you can think about it, you can start to talk about it, you can go through the entire sequence and end without having a strong reaction. It just becomes a story. Now, some reactivity is normal, you know, especially if it was a big, scary thing, but there's no flashbacks or terror or panic attacks or completely shutting down. We do get reactivated often in similar situations right, as our bodies remember. So that can also be a clue to something, right? What do we tend to get activated about? Um, Or when we're under high levels of stress or have really heavy, intense things going on, our system can get easily activated. So there's maybe a little less resiliency in the system. And one thing I'll say and I think this is really important to note, is that you can't necessarily work through your trauma and then expect that it's all over and you're just going to be a mellow human being. And You know, this really depends on what you've experienced and how things were navigated within you afterwards. But it's not that you work through it and it's all over and you don't feel anything about it ever again. There will likely always be some level of reactivity or sensitivity or activation, but again, it doesn't completely overtake us in the moment. We're able to be resilient. We're able to talk about it, move through it, think about it without feeling debilitated. You know, we're able to heal some of our chronic symptoms that we've struggled with for a long time. Those are some of the things we can start to see. But the biggest thing is we just become more resilient, right? Whether that is when we have anxiety or depression or overwhelm, obsessive thinking, or we have something going on in our body, especially in our digestive system, which most of you here probably have that going on and find it to be disheartening and debilitating. We're able to see it and go, okay, like, I accept this and I understand what is going on in my body. I totally understand and I know what to do to support myself. I know what I need right now. And that's resiliency. Like you're able to bounce back and not get swallowed into that vortex of trauma or into the vortex of the symptoms. So I want to outline three different ways people avoid going into their trauma. One is being addicted to risk and adrenaline. So it's this idea of if I put myself in these situations enough, then something will change. So it's kind of like going into that activation. The other second way is 
to totally avoid it. So that could be like keeping life super safe, not doing much, maybe living in a lot of fear. Or that could be uh, using drugs and alcohol heavily as a way to like disconnect, distract, dissociate. And then a third way is spiritual and mental bypassing. It's kind of like, oh, if I do all these retreats and do all these practices and I'm in this deep meditation practice where I get really quiet or I just blow myself up with enough of lots of different substances and plants medicines, then I'll deal with my trauma that way. And that's still a way of avoiding it. So I hope this was really helpful for you in just understanding what trauma is in all its complexities, a bit about what happens in the brain, in the body, how it can be processed, how you know if it's processed. And, you know, this is really just scraping the surface of trauma And this is what I know right now. And I know that this field will continue to evolve. But this is my understanding of what trauma is and the best ways to navigate it. And if you have any questions about this, please reach out to me. You can always book a 30-minute discovery call with me for free through the website and the link in the show notes if this is something you are interested in working with. And as always, so grateful for you being here. I hope you have a regulated and resilient day. Hey, before you go, I want to remind you that if you struggle with chronic gut-brain symptoms and you are eating so well, taking care of your body, doing all the things right that you can find, yet you're still struggling with your symptoms, then you'll want to grab a copy of my free guide and somatic practice to help you discover the missing piece of your chronic gut brain symptoms that may be keeping you stuck. This guide will teach you tools and resources to help you feel empowered in your healing, trust your body, and find true freedom from your symptoms without needing to control your diet and every moment of your life any further. You can find the link in the show notes or head over to trustyourguthealth.com forward slash guide. I just wanted to say thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoy this show, please subscribe, leave a rating or review, and share it. That helps it reach others who will benefit from this information. So much gratitude for you. Have a beautiful day.